Well, what's up, everybody? Good to see you this morning, and we are glad that you have joined us. I want to say a hello and good morning to Columbia. We love you, and we are so thankful for all that God is doing there. We want to say good morning to Summerall. Come on, Summerall. We love you, and we are so glad and so thankful for what God's doing there. And want to listen, want to welcome everybody that's watching, listening online. Uh, we're so glad that you are a part of our church and joining us during this time. Um, today, I'm doing something that I really never thought that I would do. I am going to begin the process of teaching through the book of Revelations. And, and it's not that I don't like the book of Revelations, it's just I've I've never gotten into all of this end time stuff, but I truly believe that the timing is right, and the Lord has told me that it's time to teach um, on this book. And let me tell you a couple reasons why I think that. Uh, number one is I think that so many people don't know about the return of Jesus. They know a little bit about it, but they don't know. And I don't. I want this church. Not to have to depend on some, what somebody else says, but I want you to know for yourself what Revelation said and what, what it's going to be when this thing comes to a halt. The second reason is, is that I want this to be a tool or a resource for you and for other people to be able to share or look back on. And then lastly is, I believe that if I can understand the book of Revelation, anybody can understand the book of Revelation. Come on, you're looking at a solid C student right now. How many, come on, come on, C students in the house. Anybody C, I'm a solid C student. And I know that if I can comprehend what this book says in Revelation, then I know that I can get the cookies on the bottom shelf so that everybody can get something. Uh, and, I, and I believe I can do that with integrity of Scripture. And, and so I, we're going to launch out today and begin teaching on this book. It's going to be a little bit longer than normal. It's going to be from anywhere from six to eight weeks in this series. So it'll be a little bit longer. And every week I'm going to do, I'm going to have this uh, pattern that I'm going to give you some information information about the book, and then I'm going to give you some application about the truth that we learn, because information without application is absolutely useless. That's right, useless. And we, so we want you to be able to use what you have learned. And so with that being said, I want you to join me. I want you to bow in prayer with me right now. And Lord Jesus, we come before you and as we launch out into teaching this uh, incredible book, this book that God you gave us, and this book that has so many hidden secrets and all kinds of things, Lord, we pray that you would unlock those things in our heart and you would help us to understand and build our faith as we read through this blessed revelation, this blessed promise that you've given us in your word. Lord, for every person that's here today, I pray, Lord, that you would bless them. You would put your hand upon them and help us to know that we know that we know that Jesus is coming soon in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. 
Well, if you got your Bible, your brick and mortar Bible, you can pull it out to Revelation 1's where we're going to be. And just by a show of hands, how many of you, when you think about the book of Revelation, think uh, it's scary? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Uh, just by show of hands, how many of you think the book of Revelation is a tad bit weird? Anybody, anybody? <laughs> um, well, when you go to talking about the book of Revelation, you get to talking about like dragons and like beasts and four-headed creatures and lightning and, and, and locusts and 12 stars and 10 horns and seven heads and six wings and five seals that are, seals that are broken and four bowls that are pouring out and three trumpets that are blowing and come on, and a partridge and a pear tree. It's just all of these different things that are unfolding and unfolding. And in fact, Revelation is like those Russian dolls that where you take one and you open it up and there's another doll. And you take one and you open it up and there's another doll and another and another. And it's like one thing leads to another and to, to another. And, and the challenge with teaching this book where we are is that a lot of people, when you talk about the book of Revelation, people get creeped out. Like it's not on the Church Growth 101 series that needs to be taught because it kind of creeps people out. They're, they're like, I really don't want to study that because it's kind of weird. The other challenge that I have in teaching this book, this wonderful book, is that people know just enough to be dangerous. Are you with me? There are some people and some things when you know just enough to mess the whole thing up, right? Right? And a lot of people know just enough about Revelation that they can mess the whole thing up, and it makes it a challenge. But I will tell you that the book of Genesis, or the book of Revelation, isn't as scary as the book of Genesis, because the book of Genesis moves from creation to destruction. While the book of Revelation moves from destruction to creation. At the end of Genesis, you hadn't got much, many answers. At the end of Genesis, there's still a whole lot of question marks. But at the book of, in the book of Revelation, man, there is a celebration. There is an eternal celebration going on forever and ever and ever. And God, please remember this. And we're building a foundation this morning. But please remember that God didn't give us the book of Revelation to scare us. God gave us the book of Revelation to prepare us. Maybe you want to say that with me. God did not give us the book of Revelation to scare us, but he gave us the book of Revelation to prepare us. God wrote this book for this moment. God wrote this book for right now. In a frenzy of fear, God gave us a word that can help build our faith, that can give us confidence and certainty in a time of uncertainty. Look what Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says. It says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all those who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. So if we read this book, the Bible says, to the church, we are blessed. If you hear this word in the church, you are blessed. It is a blessing. This book is a blessing for us. And God, I, this may sound simple, but God gave us the book of Revelation. He gave it to us for a purpose, 
so that we would know. And we would know his thoughts. It's kind of like the little boy who was back in his room playing. He was playing with his G.I. Joes and just back in his room. And he heard lightning pop. Pow! And he heard the wind blow. And he heard a tree fall. Boom! And so he got up out of his room, scared. He ran into the living room where his dad was standing at the window looking out at the storm that was outside. And he looked up at his dad and he said, Daddy, is everything going to be okay? And his father looked back at him and he said, Son, everything's going to be okay. And the little boy said, Well, if it's okay, then I'm going back into my room and play. You see... He trusted totally, even though the wind and the waves and trees were falling, all this stuff was happening. He trusted the word of his father, and his life was at peace. And I believe that our Lord and our Savior has given us this so that we would know and we would have peace. And so what I want to do is I want to get, kind of give us an overview today of this book. I want to give us an overview and kind of a survey of the book. So if I want to tell you a few things that will help us understand the book of Revelation in weeks to come. Hang with me. Stay with me. The first is that the background is apocalyptic. The background of this book is apocalyptic. This book is apocalyptic literature, which literally means an unveiling or revealing the book of Revelation, revealing nation, revelation, revealing something. It's apocalyptic. Most people think when they, you say the word apocalypse, they think, oh, here comes destruction. But that's not what it means at all. It means an uncovering. Oh, that's what that meant. Oh, that's what that meant. And as we go through this, God's going to uncover some things. Now, the book was written by a dude by the name of John, who was one of the original disciples. He was one of the last 11 disciples left. Judas, you know, killed himself. But the last 10, 11 of those disciples all were martyred except for John. And they tried to kill John. They even tried to boil John. Come on, but he survived the boiling. And they put him on, uh, and, they, but, and so they banished him. And so John, and, and I believe, y'all, just for a moment, I believe that's proof of, the, of Jesus being real, is that every single person that saw him and walked with him were willing to die for him, give their life for him. Not one of them said, I won't give their life for him. And they banished John to this island called Patmos. It was like a Roman exile, kind of like an ancient Alcatraz where they, uh, where, where they put people that they did not know exactly what to do with because they had tried to kill John and he wouldn't die. So we're just going to banish him. And while he was on this island, there was an angel came to him and this angel gave him a vision or a revelation. Now, revelation is one continuous vision. It's not a bunch of multiple visions, although there are multiple scenes in the vision. It's one vision. It's one revelation where God was transported up into heaven and he saw that the things to come and the things which were. Um, and so we see that the background of this passage of scripture is apocalyptic. The second thing is the emphasis of the book is Jesus Christ. I want to stay here just a minute. The emphasis of the book is Jesus Christ. There, the beast is mentioned uh, somewhere like 47 times. 
The dragon is mentioned like 31 times. The, the angels are mentioned like 82 times. And so there's a bunch of different characters listed in the Bible, but the emphasis, or the book of Revelation, but it's the emphasis of this is Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Look, he comes in the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations in the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Skip down to verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the gold lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Listen to this description. He was wearing a long robe and a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair was like white as wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were flat like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like a mighty ocean wave. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp-edged sword in his mouth. And his face was like that of the brilliance of the sun. When I saw him, when I seen, his, seen him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. I am the first. I am the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and I hold the keys to the grave. Jesus Christ is the central figure in this book. The son of God, the lamb of God, the rider of the white horse is the central figure in this passage of scripture. The beast is not the central figure. The false prophet is not the central figure. The, the, uh, the, the 666 mark of the beast is not the central figure. Jesus Christ is the central figure. And it's so important that we get that as we start this book. Because if you are focused on a, a certain or uh, part of this book, we miss the whole purpose of the book. It would be like going to the Grand Canyon and being focused on the road signs and watching the road signs and not seeing the, the greatness of the Grand Canyon. It would be like going to the Rocky Mountains and looking at an anthill and never looking up to see all of the incredible grandeur of the, the mountains. And in this book, we must understand that the greatness and the grandeur of this book is Jesus Christ. Because he's the emphasis. Lastly, in, in our uh, survey of the, the book is the purpose of the book. And the purpose of the book is, the, is prophetic for the end times. It's written to explain how everything is going to play out, how everything is going to end. And as Revelation is unveiled, it's very, very clear that there is someone who has ordered all of these things. It's systematic in nature. It's almost as someone has take, taken one domino and another domino and another domino, and they've lined them all up. And when one goes, all of the other go, others go, but they have systematically placed them. It's kind of like when you walk into a business 
and that business is very much in order and they've got everything in line and they know how to handle you when you walk in the door. They know how to seat you. They know how to get your order and they, they're in, it's a process. And when you go to those places, you think, man, somebody's thought through this process. Somebody knows how the end is gonna happen. And it's the same thing with this. God Almighty has been through this process. He's written down the process and he knows what's gonna happen. In fact, he gives us a key. And this verse is the key to Revelation. If you wanna read it in verse 19 with me, he says, write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will be. There's two sections in the book of Revelation we find right here in verse number 19. The first section is the things which are seen. The things which are seen were the things that were right then. Revelation 1 through 3 explained what Jesus saw in the, or what John saw in the now. And he saw an incredibly powerful, magnificently strong Jesus. I'm so glad he didn't see the Jesus like a lot of people portray Jesus as. I'm glad he didn't see some pale, skinny, uh, anorexic, like poor, like, like weak, wimpy Jesus who makes flower arrangements and loves colors and, and plays Nintendo. I'm glad he didn't like paint Jesus that way. I'm glad that he painted Jesus as the one that at one move of his hand, the whole cosmos changes. At one blink of his eye, at one blink of his eyes, fireflies. He is a powerful, powerful vision of Christ. And then we see in the next section is the things that which shall be. And this is where we're going to pick up our teaching next week in Revelations 4 through 22 and what shall be the future and the prophetic. And today I want to just take a moment and break that down for you. And then I want to give you some application at the end. And so and what he saw was broken down into several sections. And Revelation 4 through 8 is what they call the final conflict. And the final conflict um, and is where we, when we find the seven seals. This is where you'll find the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And you'll find they get to that seventh seal. And they'll say, who can open this seal? Who can open this seal? And only Jesus is capable of opening that seventh seal. And that opens, this, opens it up to uh, Revelations 9 and 10, where we find the final destruction. And that's where we find the seven trumpets of God. And that's where a third of the earth will be removed, and a third of the people, and a third of the sea. And, and we find that Jesus is a righteous judge in this time. And then we go on to Revelation 11 through 14, and it's almost like there's a holy pause right here of events happening, and there's some things that transpire in these verses, and it's kind of like historic visions that are going on in John's. And this is where we see the dragon, this is where we see the beast, and this is where we see the mark of the beast come about and all of that. Then Revelations 15 through 16, we see the seven bowls, and that's the final wrath of God when when the plagues come, and you know, you've, most many of you've heard about the river turning to blood, and the Euphrates River drying up, and and the Battle of Armageddon, and the Kingdom of Darkness rising up. That's in this, and then in Revelation seventeen twenty, we find the final judgment. 
There is a final judgment um, that comes, and that's the fall of Babylon, um, the fall of the false prophet, the fall of the beast. And we ha- you find that there's Jesus has his millennial reign, and there's a thousand-year reign on, on earth, and Jesus is king of kings. But it doesn't end right there. And I'm so glad it doesn't end right there. Because if it ended there, we would be in a, a, a world of, of disappointment, but we find in here in Revelations 21 and 22, there's the final and eternal celebration of Jesus being the rescuer. This is when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more hurting. All of eternity will be uh, at, our, at our fingertips and in, in our eyes. And the tree of life will be in the center. And anybody will eat from it will live forever and ever and ever. And that's the layout of the book of Revelation. So listen, Wes. Listen, Pastor, I got you, okay? I, got, I made it through all of that. I made it through what you just said about Revelation, okay? So what, what, what does it have to do with me? Like, is the world coming to an end? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Well, what do I do with this book? I wanna give you something today, and I want you to hang with me. I know I've been preaching for a little while, but I want you to hang with me. Because I believe there's something in this book that, that we just read and went through that applies to our life. So my question is, what do you do in response to the book of Revelation? There's a number of things it says. But the way we respond to this book is we must watch what we worship. Watch what we worship. Listen to me. There right now, is a battle going on for your worship. The battle is not for your money. The battle is not for power. The battle is not for more freedom. The battle is for worship. There is a war for your worship. Satan wants your worship. In Isaiah 14, he says he, he was up there in heaven. Lucifer was. He was a, a worship leader in heaven. And in Isaiah 14, Lucifer or Satan looked at God and he said, I, I, I want to be like God. I, I, wanna, I want the worship of God. I want to do what God does. I want to be like God. And he tried to overthrow heaven and convinced a third of the army to come down with him or a third of the angels to come down with him. And, 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 and God removed him from heaven because he wanted worship. And nothing has changed, y'all, since the very first day that, or that very first moment when we hear about that, Satan is still after your worship. And he'll do anything to get your worship. He wants your worship. He could care less about what you got in the bank. He could care less about what you're driving. As long as you're not worshiping God, he is satisfied. He wants your worship. And we are created to worship. You and I are created to worship. God created us in the garden and he gave us these appendages and these mouths and all of this stuff so that we could worship. You've got hands to clap unto the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's how we clap. And when we clap unto the Lord, that beat, that gets on the, the, the devil's nerves. Come on, the beat. God's gives some of us rhythm. 
Come on, I know for us white people it may be a little challenging, but some of us, God has given some rhythm. You know what? Rhythm wasn't meant for Jay Z and Beyonce. Rhythm was meant for the believers of God to have a rhythm and worship God Almighty. The, he gave us our mouth to shout unto God. Hallelujah! That just gets on Satan's nerves. The, praise the Lord! That, that just rubs him the wrong way, you know? It just kind of gets all over him. And then he gave us this voice to sing unto the Lord. To sing unto the Lord. When we sing, he knows my name. He knows my every thought. That just that rubs him the wrong way. Because this is a move. This is a move. Because giants are still being slain. And when we sing those, it just kind of gets on his nerves. Even old school stuff gets on his nerves. Come on. It don't matter what genre or, or where, where you're at on the spectrum of worship. All worship rubs him the wrong way. You can sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And that gets on his nerves when we de declare the grace of God. A mighty fortress is our God. Just informative of that. You get what I'm saying? That we were created to worship. And the one thing and the one sign of the end, one of the signs of the end, is that we'll begin to see Satan trying to steal the worshipers or the followers of God. I'm reminded Satan's plan is to make us worship him, and he'll do that out of fear. He'll make us want to worship him out of fear. And, you know, I don't, I know, I know on, online it may get a little long listening to this or where we're at right now, but I want you just to hang with me because I want to, I want to preach this thing out. And, and, and I'm just going to kind of lay my Bible down here. So that I can just kind of express to you what the word is down, the Lord has downloaded me in these last few moments that I have with you. Because I believe that Satan, there's a move on the earth right now for Satan to make us afraid. And there's a fear frenzy. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, y'all. God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we don't have to live in fear anymore. Now, that may not mean that everything's easy and everything's calm. It may mean we have to stand and we may have to overcome that fear. But he's not given us a spirit of fear. I'm thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, the same thing that happened to them can happen today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you remember the story, were told to bow down to something that the government created. They were told to bow down at an image that Nebuchadnezzar had put up of himself. And everybody else bowed down. Boom, 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 boom. Everybody else bowed down. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these, these three little Hebrew boys chose not to bow down. They pulled them in. They said, look, now you know you've got to bow down. You've got to do this. There's rules. There's signs. You've got to bow down. And they chose not to bow down. They brought them into the Nebuchadnezzar's court. And, and, and he's, they're standing in front of the most powerful man in the the universe. And he said, ha, I'm going to give you one more chance. Maybe you didn't hear me right. Bow down. And, and, and they said, oh, king. This is that classic line. Oh, king. 
we do not serve your gods and we will not bow down. And our God is able to deliver us. And our God, they're talking to the king, will deliver us. But even if our God does not deliver us, do you see how they just overcome, overcome fear? Let it be known to you this day, O king, that we will not bow down. Get her burning. Turn her up higher because we do not worship your gods. My friends, listen to me. We do not worship the gods of this world. We worship God Almighty. Amen, somebody in the house. We worship God Almighty. So if you gotta turn your furnace up, turn it up. We will not bow down to the things of this world. And God and Satan wants us to worship anything but God. Anything but God. Worship Worship your, your job, worship your family, worship uh, 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 ideology or something. But, but he wants us to worship anything but God. He wants to steal the worship of God. And, and right on over in Daniel, you, we find Daniel there. And they've come up with a decree that Daniel cannot pray. And Daniel, when he hears this decree, what does he do? He goes up to his house He goes up into the top of his house and he opens the windows up and he prays in spite of what they've told him to do. Sound familiar with anything happening today in some of the states that are happening today? And he prays and they bring him down and they said, hey, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. And King Darius didn't want to do it, but he threw him in the lion's den. And all night he stayed in the lion's den. And the next morning, the God had shut the mouth of the lions, been protected Daniel, because Daniel chose to serve and worship God no matter what. My friends, I believe the Lord gave me a word to say to us this morning that, 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 that they, hey, we are not going to bow down. We're going to worship God. We're going to worship him no matter what. I don't know if you're getting anything out of this, but I am that the Lord has told us to worship God Almighty. And what the devil wants is our worship. He wants our worship. So I got a word for somebody that wants to stop the worship of God. Go buy you some lions is what I'm saying. Go purchase you. So go talk to the tiger king. Go get you some tigers. Build us a, build a, get us a pit down there and get ready to throw me in it. Because guess what? Nothing's going to stop us from worshiping God because we were created for God Almighty and we will worship only God. Only him will we worship. We worship him alone. Man, what an incredible book we got here. Man, what an incredible word we got here. When you know Christ. When you know Christ. I was, as I close today, as I close today, if the Lord were to burst open the sky and come riding on that white horse, man, would you be ready? Would you be ready? I was in line at the grocery store this week. And, um, you know, it's just kind of weird still. Everybody's kind of don't want to talk or anything. And this one lady was standing right there, and I just let her go in front of me. Come on, you can still be nice. You can be nice. And, and, and so because I was nice, she turned around and she started talking to me. She had just had a baby, and she had a three-year-old at home. And, and so I said, well, hey, I'm a pastor. Um, is there any way I can pray for you? And she said... You really don't even want to know. My life is such a mess. 
And this world is so crazy. And, um, and so I, we just talked there for just a minute. I said, well, I'm going I'm to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I got my groceries. I went outside the dollar store and I was getting in my truck. And lo and behold, she had sit right beside me and her two kids were in the car. And so I walked over to her car. And I know she's thinking like, this weirdo pastor dude is coming after me. And I was like, no. I said, I just want to tell you something. You can rest assured that Jesus is in complete control. And if you put your trust in him, you don't have to worry about those babies in the back anything else, you're going to be okay. And the reason I could tell her that is because we've got a book that we're going to read through called the book of Revelation that in the end of all of this, guess what? He's still king. He's still king. I'm going to ask you if you would right now to bow your head with me. And we're going to just have a moment with the Lord, just you and the Lord, Right now, wherever you're at, whatever, don't worry about anybody beside you. Don't worry about anything else going on. Just you and the Lord. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready? I'm not doing some old school manipulation. I'm just asking you a question. Are you ready? If today was the day, you can know for sure that Jesus Christ lives inside of you and you will be with him. The Bible says, if you put your trust in him, you admit with your, with, with your mouth that you're a sinner, believe in your heart that Jesus died for you and confess with your sins to him and confess him as Lord, you will be saved. And I'm gonna ask you right now, I'm gonna ask you to do that right where you're at. If you need to ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, I'm gonna ask you right now to say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And right now, I put my trust in you, and I believe you died for my sins. And I confess you right now as my Lord and my Savior. Listen to me if you're praying with me. Based on the word of God, your sins are forgiven. Now tell him this. Say, thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer and saving my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so proud of you. You took that step of faith today. I'm going to ask you now to join us as we worship.